In the CIA, he will recruit you. Why me? You're agile. Athletic. He will train you. Nintendo. <laughs> he will push you. Reach the parking lot with an asset who intends to have sex with you. You want us to pick up a girl? Five, actually. He will give you everything. If you are caught, you're dead. Except a way out. Al Pacino, Colin Farrell. You want answers, you're in the wrong job. I only have secrets. The Recruit. Ready PG-13. See you January 31st. One to Cinemarcade. This is the podcast about movies, video games, and the sparks that fly when those two worlds collide. Today we are uh, tackling a very strange case of a movie that you may not remember that has a video game adaptation that you definitely don't remember. We're talking about The Recruit from 2003. We're going to get into that and just remind you exactly what the hell this movie is. I am the metaphysically wrinkle-free Steve Guntley, and who is joining me today? Uh, I'm Jay. My dick is on fire. Jay Ban. Uh, <laughs> that's a direct quote from the movie. Uh, <laughs> in a very tense <laughs> situation. Uh, hi, I'm Justin, and my dick is not on fire. Oh, that's good to hear. I'm yeah. glad that cleared up. I'm yeah. glad you're doing better. Sorry to put that out into the world. I apologize. <laughs> Uh, yeah, a very weird one we're talking about today. Uh, just reminder, Justin is single. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys. <laughs> I'm going to put this on my dating profile. <laughs> I, I found from personal experience, if you put podcaster on a dating profile, that I think the app actually just screens you out automatically. <laughs> I think they just go like, oh, yeah, no, this is an unlovable human being. <laughs> we best move on. <laughs> like board games, video games, improv, and podcasting. Yes, we get it. You're white. Thank you. Yes, we know. We know. Yes. Uh, yeah, a very, very weird one today. This is a movie uh, that is just like the epitome of like a January release that gets totally forgotten. And it's a game that technically does not have the license to this movie, but still carries the same exact plot. And it's a very deeply strange game on top of all of that. Uh, uh, so I'm excited to get into this one. Yeah, like what's really uh, funny is I actually remembered the twist or quote unquote twist from this from watching it in like 2003. Yeah. And it was just like it was so funny rewatching it and just being all like. I was just like the it really failed to sort of like keep my attention, which is unfair in a lot of ways because I love Al Pacino. Sure, I think Colin Firth is an amazing Farrell. actor. Farrell yeah. Firth. Sorry, I just I rewatched Pride and Prejudice this week. Oh, we uh, get it. BBC. You're white. Okay, we know. <laughs> we know. We get it. Now, are we the whitest group ever? Hey, be. Pride and Prejudice goes like for every Pride and Prejudice is for everyone. Yeah, so um, is Limp Bizkit. <laughs> no, they are not. They are for no one. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I, 
I this is one of the rare movies I have not seen uh, for the podcast that, that we've been talking about so far. So this is a first time watch for me. And I don't know about y'all. Whenever I tell people the premise of this podcast, like they always ask what kind of things I we cover. I'll toss out like a recent episode and they'll be like, I had no idea that had a game. This is the epitome of I had no idea that had a game because uh, this is also I had no idea this was a movie. I mean, maybe Gotcha was has been more obscure of the films we've talked yeah, about. Yeah, but Gotcha but was very entertaining. Gotcha was entertaining, but this one is are, almost are you as saying obscure. that that's in contrast to I mean this movie? Like the, the, uh, the recruit is almost as obscure as Gotcha, but it's twenty years later, so it has. I don't less know of if it's excuse. obscure. It did make a hundred thousand million, a hundred thousand million, a hundred. Sorry, a hundred million at the box office. It did well. Yeah, it's one of those movies. It, it just did really well. Very big stars. Yeah. Um, and it was a success at the time. It was. It was. Um, well, let's get into it. This movie is called The Recruit. It was released January 31st, 2003. It's directed by Roger Donaldson, and it's written by Roger Town, Kurt Vimmer, and Mitch Glazer. And it stars Al Pacino, Colin Farrell, Bridget Moynihan, and Gabriel Mocked. Yes, there basically are only four characters in this movie, <laughs> which makes it pretty easy to narrow down uh, the the different mechanics of this. Um, yeah, so this, this is kind of the pinnacle of the, I don't know, they, I didn't know they made a game of that. It's a pretty forgotten kind of espionage potboiler that somehow made its way to profitability. The reviews were pretty mild, and its cultural tale is pretty much nil, but it kind of has a game adaptation. Um, the movie's real only legacy, I think, is kind of as an early test balloon for the career of Colin Farrell. All right, so Colin Farrell had an interesting career around this time. He uh, sort of just arrived you know he's one of those actors that people were very resentful about similar to tom cruise when he first started because he didn't really go through the grind that a lot of actors go through you know most actors you've seen them in like bit parts in like half a dozen movies before this colin farrell and tom cruise were the case of two people who were just like oh they're in one movie they popped really hard let's make this person a movie star and i think people tend to bear a little resentment about that um his first kind of breakout role was in this movie in 2001 called Tigerland. Uh, I don't know, have you ever seen, has anybody else ever seen mm, Tigerland? I have seen Tigerland. It's an interesting movie. It's similar to this uh, movie today because it's it's all about a training facility, you know? So this one's about soldiers who are training to go to Vietnam. Uh, and he, it's not a very good movie, but he's very good in it, and it's clearly like, all right, this, guy, this guy's got a little something, you know? Uh, uh, so his first American films were Hearts War and American Outlaws, and they were kind of flops. But between 2002 and 2003, he had a string of kind of modest hits. He was in SWAT. He was in Phone Booth. He was in Minority I Report. He's in Daredevil. We'll go to bat for Phone Booth. I kind of like Phone Booth. I rewatched Phone Booth recently. <laughs> I really liked Phone Booth so much when it came yeah. out. I haven't rewatched it in like the years in between. Uh, but I remember watching it and being like, wow, this man is an amazing actor. Look, it's like he's just stuck in a phone booth the entire thing. It was like it could have been a play on TV, on, on, on the stage. It was just like so like it was i liked it so much it's it's an 80 minute movie that's mostly just him on screen and Kiefer sutherland's voice you know and it works i think that that movie is kind of a good like low stakes test of okay is this guy a movie star and i think he is you know like i think he he really sort of shown in that little movie daredevil he was actually supposed to play the lead in daredevil at first and he thought the villain character was more interesting we'll get to that movie eventually but he is the best part of that movie i would argue um 
But yeah, I, I think it, it was becoming one of these guys that was sort of being shoved down your throat a little bit, you know, like sort of like Jude Law around the same time where he's in like six or seven movies and people are like, okay, well, I guess this guy has to be a movie star, you know. Uh, but people were getting a little bit sick of him. And so I think they wanted to pair him back and try to um, sort of relaunch him as more of a supporting role uh, in, well, again, opposite like an established movie star. You know, and so they brought in Al Pacino, uh, who, you know, obviously Al Pacino, a 70s icon uh, who had a pretty disastrous run in the 80s. He had like three movies in the 80s and they were all horrible. But then in the 90s, he kind of started coming back. He got two Oscar nominations in 1992 alone. Son of a Woman? Son of a Woman and Glengarry Glenn Ross. And he won the one for Scent of a Woman. I've never seen Glengarry Glenn Ross. I've only seen the coffee scene from on YouTube. Oh, sure. Uh, like I and I feel really like I really like Mammoth. I mean, yeah. Mammoth's problematic, but oh, like, yeah. uh, but uh, I like his writing. I I like that movie a lot, but it's also one of those movies similar to like Fight Club or Wolf of Wall Street, where you have to. Uh, be very clear about like why you like that movie because it's a very hyper masculine like you talk about that coffee scene like yeah. the Al- Alec Baldwin scene you talk about that and people are taking that as like oh this is what I should be like as opposed to this guy's a fucking creep and an asshole and like he's the what's wrong with the sales industry and you shouldn't want to be like him but you mean pe- to tell me you're not supposed to scam people and take all of their money uh, just so that you can buy a new car uh, not necessarily. When you already have a lot of money. <laughs> not necessarily, you know? Yeah, you would think so. Uh, but yeah, so then he was he was uh, a lot of roles in movies like Heat and Donnie Brasco, The Devil's Advocate, The Insider, Any Given Sunday. He had a really good 90s. Um, and he was starting to play more and more like of this sort of mentor role like he's playing in this. Like they're going to take Pacino, who's tried and true and like a really respected actor, and we're going to pair him up with whoever the next hot guy is. So Donnie Brasco, they pair him up with Johnny Depp. Uh, in this movie, they pair him up with Colin Farrell. He does one called Two for the Money. They pair him up with Matthew McConaughey. You know, so they're they're kind of escorting him into that. Okay. I'm going to officially apologize for how many times I'm going to call Colin Farrell, Colin Firth. Yes. Throughout this uh, production. <laughs> it's just on the tip of your tongue. Uh, it's right it's, on, it's yeah. on the tip of my mind. Uh, the beautiful beautiful Colin Firth. Uh, if you haven't seen the BBC Pride and Prejudice, it's on Hulu. Uh, it's, 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 time for, it's time for a rewatch. I call that an ex-girlfriend movie because every one of my ex-girlfriends has made me watch this. I've seen those many times. Yeah, I don't know. I just, it's just, I'm not saying they're the cause of my relationship. I, think I like that miniseries. I'm just saying. Uh, so far, Ailish has not made me watch that Pride and Prejudice. I think I'm, I'm going to be worried if she ever asks me to. I'm like, oh God, here it comes. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, this uh, script had been floating around. It was originally called The Farm, which might have been a better title thematically, but it's also similar. It has a similar SEO problem that I think The Recruit has. It's hard to Google this movie. Mm-hmm. It'd be hard to Google The Farm as well. It's directed by Roger Donaldson, who's just this Australian like kind of journeyman director. He's got a couple of like mid-level hits. He did Species, which is a, a very campy movie I like a lot. He did Cocktail with Tom Cruise. He did Dante's Peak. Uh, you know, a couple of like sort of mid-level movies that don't really have a strong director signature to it. And this wound up being a minor hit. This opened number one when it was released. It made a healthy $100 million off a $45 million budget. Reviews were kind of lukewarm, but most agreed that it was kind of a cut above like the average 
there were a lot of these kind of spy thrillers around the early 2000s and they were all similarly sort of forgettable like i would take this movie over like spy game did you see that one with brad pitt and robert redford probably see exactly it's that kind of movie it's this is a probably movie like all three of the, all of these are just like oh did you see it yeah probably seems like a kind of thing i would have seen what is the i can never say is it uh tink uh, Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy. You got it. Yeah. Oh man, you nailed it. That's yeah, a great, that's a great spy movie. I've not seen that one yet. It's I gotta so get good. to it. I, I think I keep getting put off by it because everyone's description is like, it is so good. It's so boring. Like it's they say that with equal enthusiasm in the same breath. It is so good. It is so boring. So I love costumes, and okay. so I think that any t- downtime in the. Um, uh, in that movie was probably uh, my attention was riveted by Savile Row suits. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so like I never thought it was boring, uh, but I also do know that uh, I, like I can get quite distracted. Like Marie Antoinette. Mm. Oh, I, I can't talk about the movie because I love the costumes too much to even like. It's like you can't it's even just, criticize. I can't it, yeah. criticize the movie. I'm too distracted by the beauty. I like that movie a lot. I don't yeah. know. Like you can. It's probably not above criticism, but I like that movie a lot. But yeah, so this is just kind of one of those movies that sort of showed that, all right, Colin Farrell can be a box office draw. But then his career kind of went in a weird direction after this. Alexander? That's the thing. (laughs) That's the big one. So yeah, Daredevil was kind of a stinker and Alexander uh, and uh, Miami Vice were two like big flops that he starred in after this. Alexander is the most notorious one. So I think Alexander... So this is the issue that I think everyone had with Alexander and everyone like everyone still does this problem. And I think it really detracts from movies is that they cast Angelina Jolie as his mother. And Mm. I think she was maybe two years older than him or two years younger. younger. Um, They're probably very I think she was like so she was either the same age or a couple years younger (laughs) uh, and it made it seem super incesty. Yeah. Like the whole thing had like this super there was no maternal affection uh, about it and I think this is a problem when people cast um, women who the same age as the male protagonist because it just gets weird and like incesty. Would you be surprised to learn that we're going to cover that movie. <laughs> they made a game. Yes, we are. They made oh, a they piece. Made a... There's a PC game of the Oliver Stone Alexander film. Now, it may be lost to time, but it does exist. Uh, it did exist at one point. That's amazing. We'll I've never seen that movie. I've never it. seen it. I've heard it's I've, I've heard crazy things about it, but but yeah, so he had that. That was kind of a major issue. He also had pretty well-documented issues with drugs and alcohol yeah. around this time. He was in the tabloids a lot. He was kind of like this brash young Irish actor, and people were ready to hate him. He went into rehab. He met Martin McDonough, uh, the great Irish uh, screenwriter, and he starts putting. He becomes Martin McDonough's muse, basically. His performance in In Bruges in 2008 mm-hmm. made me. That's the first movie that made like, oh my god, Colin Farrell is fucking amazing. So I recognized Colin Farrell's amazingness earlier, especially because like in something like Phone Booth. Yeah. But In Bruges, I have such a difficult relationship with In Bruges mm. because I, um, as I've discussed previously, sometimes have a have a hate relationship with mob movies. 
movies. Yeah. And the movie is spectacular, and especially the other male lead in that, I have such a thing for Brandon because Gleason. like he's yeah. such a good actor. I love uh, what, so there's much. A, a movie about him in Ireland, and he plays a police officer. Oh, the Garda. yeah, yeah, the guard, the guard, yeah. oh, amazing it's spectacular movie. Him and Don movie. Cheadle. That movie's phenomenal. Spectacular movie. Um, and so I like the movie, but it it fills me with like I feel dirty watching it because I I hate mob movies so much. And it's a that's a like that is about as dark as a comedy can get while still being like I think that movie's outrageously funny but it's also like children get murdered in yeah. that. Like people commit very graphic suicide in that movie. Like it's really they really go hard in that film, but it's incredible and I think Colin Farrell's just had an amazing like sort of underrated character actor run since then. Like, he was in that new Batman movie playing the Penguin under completely unrecognizable makeup. He's unrecognizable. He's so good in that movie. He's really good, but also just hire an actor that looks like that. You don't have to cover up Colin Firth's pretty face. Like, Farrell. Farrell. Everybody do a shot. I already apologized. I already apologized in advance. (laughs) Did do a shot. Oh, God. We've made a drinking game. Uh, but yeah, I mean, and then, you know, of course, Banshee, Banshees of Inishirin so, came out last year, which I thought was, I really was pulling for him to win the Oscar yeah, off of that. I uh, really wanted him to win. I still need to see that. It's, I really it's, wanted to In addition to my rewatch of Pride and Prejudice, I'm also rewatching Lord of the Rings Extended Version. Oh. And my flatmate says, we haven't started this drinking game, but it's a drinking game you should have when you watch the extended cut. It's basically drink every time you see a meme. Oh yeah, yeah. You'll that'll happen quick. Same if you're watching Futurama. You got to be careful. Like yeah, you got to be careful with that game. Yeah, but I mean, uh, Colin Farrell has definitely graduated to like just a, a such a high level for. He's like one of my very favorite well, actors. I don't think I've seen many movies that he's been in. I've I've been reading Wikipedia articles on him and the surrounding cast this whole time. Yes, because like. Al Pacino I know of, but Colin Farrell, I'm like, I know I've heard the name, but what were they in that I saw? Yeah. And it's so funny because Al Pacino was in such spectacular movies, but he's also in such creepy movies like The Devil's Advocate at this time. Yeah, yeah. And he's he's in the same year he's going to be in Geely. Did you see that movie? (laughs) No, I did not see that movie. That movie is absolute wild crazy movie like and he's he's got a very weird scene in that how old is al pacino he's 83 he just had he and robert de niro both had children this last year they're both in their 80s and they i remember hearing about that yeah Yeah. looking forward to being 83 and having a child yeah Uh. (laughs) you have that luxury it'll happen yeah so i mean you know, we you notice we've kind of avoided talking about the movie all this much because we're just it, – it's more fascinating as kind of a pit stop on Colin Farrell's well, career. Also, it must be said, he I, you forget how hot he was at this time. He's a very hot man in he this He is movie. a very attractive yeah. man. But it's always so funny that they're like put him in all these American roles when his Irish accent is ridiculous. It's, he's got the best accent. Wowzer. and. Everything I've heard about him too, like since he got clean, is just that he is the sweetest dude, and that he's just the, he's a he's a dream to work with. He's just really polite to everybody and like very genuine. And uh, so I wish nothing right. but success for him. But to talk about the movie, yes, this is really interesting because um, have you um, uh, like did you ever think about going into the CIA or the NSA or anything like that? No, no. I come mean, on. as like wild fantasies as a child, maybe. <laughs> Uh, seriously, as a young adult or adult, no. Okay. 
Uh, I almost joined the Air Force, but <laughs> that was the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> I came to Austin instead, and here I am. I, I mean, I, I never had any kind of proclivities for, like, the military or, like, or, or uh, spy work or anything like that. Like, it always just looked like a pain in the ass to me. Like, I love spy movies, but it always looked like a pain, pain in the, the ass. Pain in the ass, yeah. Yeah, my goal was to do, like, technical work, like, IT or something similar. I oh, was okay. like, I'm not. I I had tested high enough on all the pretests that I was like, all right, I'm probably gonna be fine with whatever I pick. So you wanted so. to be the guy at the computer monitor with the earpiece going, all right, you've got two bogeys on yeah. your six. Yeah, that's <laughs> Take the left it. alley. Hundred percent. You want to be guy on no, the computer. I, I wanted to be the guy. Uh, <laughs> In America, who doesn't go do anything interesting? Uh, <laughs> you want to be Melissa McCarthy and spy. So I, I didn't want to be Colin uh, Farrell. Ooh, put that drink down. Uh, was put, started off as a hacker. Uh, like it, yeah. it was really funny, uh, or not a hacker, but like a uh, as like a, a software science. engineer, a, a computer cool scientist. guy, computer dude. Which was so funny because so the only experience I have with ever sort of being recruited uh, was my. Uh, high school chemistry teacher's son was in the NSA mm. and he came to our chemistry class to talk to us about joining the NSA. Yeah. And uh, that's wild. <laughs> but he's just, not allowed to say anything about no, where he I works. just, yeah. I love that that's. No, you can. You can say you work for the NSA. It's not illegal to say you work that, for the NSA. I love that we're at that point of where they're like, <laughs> I'm going to get these kids to join the NSA well, in a chemistry too. class. You're 15 and you know how covalent bonds work? Have you thought about government work? Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. It's a, it's a, it's a, a single like downward slide. Like That's exactly where uh, you're going to go with that. You're using a calorimeter. Do I have ways for you to use some calories? Have you blown off your eyebrows? <laughs> Hydrochloric acid, you say? We're looking for a spy without eyebrows. And we think you're going to be great for it. Yeah, so I mean, yeah, well, Colin Farrell opens the movie as like this genius uh, computer programmer from MIT, but you know, we meet it when we first meet him, he sleeps in, he's late because he's genius, but I... he has a chip on his shoulder and he likes to box. So I've mentioned this, I think, on this on this podcast before, how I hate when women are late for things. Mm. And so when I see men being late for things, I'm filled with both hate and like, mm. yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, what what time did you get here today? Just out of curiosity. Yeah, no, who was the last oh. one here? Oh, hey, that's not, that's not a part of my character development. <laughs> no, that's just a part that's of your, your character. Arc. That's not your arc. Look, yeah. I'm, the, I'm usually the one sending the, hey, I'm going to be 15 minutes late. You messages. know why? It's because so. I had to watch the movie. Oh, oh, yeah. Okay, is this the point where we uh, where we drag Justin under the bus No, here? no, I'm not. Not at all. Not at all. I think, I think we have to... I I think we have to drag him a little bit. Somebody did not watch this movie. <laughs> we were, I was playing the we, I was here. I was playing the game. And then I was like, I didn't watch this movie. <laughs> what am I doing? You were like looking for similarities. You're just like, oh, yeah. No, yeah. I was just, I, no thoughts, no brain, play game. And then I was like, oh, right. We're technically, this is technically work we were supposed to do. Yeah. I was supposed to watch this movie. I, Prepared so, to watch the movie two weeks ago. <laughs> so if if, uh, if Justin is suspiciously silent during parts of this uh, conversation, that's why we're totally dragging Look, you. I've read this. a few synopses, so I at least understand what happened. And then we watched the trailer, and I also understood what happened. <laughs> 
I watched a trailer that's, before I read anything. That's the thing that kind of ended up, uh, I think, pissing both me and J-Ban off because we watched the trailer and we're like, this kind of gives away the whole movie. <laughs> the yeah. whole like, movie. You, you kind of don't need to watch the movie. Literally, straight up, the final line of the trailer is something to the equivalent to the to the meaning of uh, sometimes the person you can't trust is the one who brought you into this in the first place. <laughs> and I'm like, so Al Pacino's the bad guy. <laughs> yeah. Okay. We're gonna we're gonna front load that right now. You know how we know Al Pacino's the bad guy because within the first twenty minutes he says, "Don't trust anybody." All right. That's the movie rule. Like. If in a in a mid level kind of spy thriller like this, that's always the rule. The other rule is like uh, the killer is going to be the highest, the most recognizable person who's billed like third or fourth. Mm-hmm. All right, and in this case, there isn't really anybody. Okay, because the whole cast is: we have Al Pacino, we have Colin Farrell, we have Bridget Moynihan, uh, and we have Gabriel Macht. Those are the four like named actors who get like a title card in the credits. The rest are just kind of like Canadian character actors who don't really have many speaking Yeah, lines. take that, Canada. You know, yeah, they it was in filmed in Toronto, which I was really appreciating. Oh, not there's something I th- think is really funny about all of the Toronto and Canadian uh, filmed TV series is that they they are always wearing coats and it's always mm-hmm. gray. Yeah, and, and you're just and you're just like they, it's just like this is what uh, Washington D.C. looks like. Like yeah. if you watch uh, this is Virginia. Yeah, this is Virginia. You wear a coat. 24-7. Man, this right away, this movie was like really bringing me back to this very specific time in movie history where like there are a lot of these sort of mid-level espionage thrillers with like bigger names than you probably need. All the music is always like, and then depending, and there's a blue filter on so everything. It's not an espionage movie, but I love The Hunt for Red October. Me too. <laughs> it's a perfect dad movie. Uh, like it's peak dad movie. I, I love that movie. I think that this might be uh, related to maybe like Mission Impossible Syndrome. Sure. Where like the first Mission Impossible movie hit big enough, and then the second one. Because then, I think did the second was that two thousand three? It was the second one was two thousand. It was a huge hit. It was a huge hit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Got they brought in Limp Biscuit to do. (laughs) You always bring it back. Always bring it back to Uh, Limp Biscuit. But no, and I I thought that was interesting because just in the trailer there was that interesting mix of like tense, like spy thriller music with like kind of underlaid hip hop beats. And you're just like, yeah, this was spy movies in 2003. Well, it's funny. Um, we we look at mo- like we look at a movie like The Recruit, which yeah. is just like you sort of like forgettable, and then you compare it to Jason Bourne and Mission Impossible, which have had these huge franchise yes. histories. Yeah. And this is just a movie that doesn't have really any kind of cultural tale, but I am going to give some credit where it's due. I really liked the first half of this movie because I really like a good training movie. Yeah. I like a training movie more than I like like a war movie or an action movie. You know, like the best parts of Full Metal Jacket is the first half when they're mm-hmm. in the boot camp, you know, just like that. There's there's uh, something about it that like being able to learn the language, being able to learn how much goes into like being put in this training. That being said, this movie was screened for actual CIA agents who reportedly thought it was a comedy. Uh, because it was so ridiculous because there's all these Byzantine lengths that they go to because this movie's real twisty, you know? They're always trying to keep you on your toes. But you're kind of going to be 
ahead of the movie the entire time. I think, like, the biggest thing is, like, I work for the state government. Mm. The CIA, regardless of its operations, is still a government agency. Yes. You know what you do when you first get hired by a government agency? Endless paperwork. So much paperwork. Endless training of being all like, which is just basically sounds like that. Yeah. Um, it's just endlessly boring. And I feel like this, like, uh, I feel like a CAA training movie that would be honest would just be exceedingly boring. Yeah. Uh, the intake forms are just like, God, I want to be done. Can I quit now? Yeah, exactly. I mean, you you don't get to do fun stuff like they're doing in this movie. All right, so one of the training missions. Well, hold on. Sends, Before we get oh, yeah. too far, I, I have a question. Have you seen The Day After Tomorrow? Yes. Did you like it? Uh, define like. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. It's a I, movie I love because of how okay. stupid it is I, and how I, much yeah, fun it is. I thoroughly enjoyed that movie. And you were saying that you like tra- the training parts. And yes. I'm like, that whole movie is a training thing. Kind of. Up until like the last 20 minutes. Do you know the best movie with the best tiny bit of training? Mm. Silence of the Lambs. Oh, yeah. I've that's seen it. They show it very you realistically. You have seen Silence oh, oh, man. Sorry. Get I, on wait, my... Which one's Silence of the Lambs? Hannibal Lecter. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. With uh, Jodie Foster, Anthony Hopkins. Yeah, yeah. With uh, the guy who takes face. Was it? He takes a face. He, off he takes a movie. face, and then he like lowers the bucket down. It's like she puts the lotion on the skin. Yeah, yeah. That's yes, the one. I have seen that one. Okay, I did. all I right, did. cool. Okay, okay. I rescind my. Outrage. I just, I just forgot the name of it. <laughs> I reaffirm <laughs> your outrage. Wait, I after you, I was like, wait a minute, things are clicking, gears are clicking. I think this is what I think it is. Um, I, we're never going to get to those movies, but man, I love those movies. Yeah, that that sh- there, you think there would be some kind of weirdo like video game version of Silence of the Lambs? I don't know. They how don't really... value female leadership enough to create. A, it's a true. Game. It's true. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I mean, the, most of this the early part of this movie is just like this fun training montage where you're told like you can't trust anybody, so obviously you know you can't. Colin Farrell shows that he's like physically agile enough to be good at this program. You know, he started to be a standout. And apparently he's good at the shooty, according to the trailer. Exactly. He's good at shooty uh, and he's good at jumpy through windy. Um, you're dropping stuff all over the floor. That's <laughs> just some distance. We got some distance on this uh, fidget spinner, which I am now claiming. Oh, uh, no. Yeah, it's my fidget spinner now. You get three people with ADHD around a table, like we're gonna have to make eye contact with each other. We all go nuts. I was about to start playing with the measuring tape. <laughs> oh god. I was like, what else is here that I can fiddle with? This lighter? I don't like fire that much. <laughs> a fire makes noise. You have to be silent fiddling. That's true. Yeah, fire that's makes noise and I don't trust myself with fire in my hand. I oh, we don't trust you fire. with fire either. Yeah, yeah no, yeah, I'm gonna drop it <laughs> on me and then I'll be fire. All right, so one of the uh, kind of little, I guess they're trying to make this sort of the fun moment of the movie is uh, they're supposed to go, their their secret mission, Al Pacino comes and gets the five boys and says, all right, your secret mission is to go into this local bar and pick up on a woman and bring her out, which is Not like... Not just one woman, five, five women. You each need to get a woman, yes. And... Uh, I don't. I don't know that that's necessarily a problem for Colin Farrell. Like, Colin Farrell has not really challenged. Two thousand three, Colin Farrell could probably walk into most bars. It was and do really okay. funny, like because like even though like he's very attractive, like but because he like I I do think you'd need to say more than one sentence, like me. 
Yeah. Well, he Maybe? came in. He came in with this rap of like he just got out of prison and is looking to just get that what? one thing. That's his rap, and it's working yeah. because he's Wait. very hot. He just his opening line is, "Hey, baby girl, I just got out of prison." Yeah. Basically, yeah, yeah. He's yeah, and uh, but then he gets kind of bamboozled by the female agent played by Bridget Moynihan, where she's acting like she just got kicked out of the program. She's sympathetic and she's like, "Oh, I just want to get drunk and go like go home with the first person who talks to me." So she lures him out, and then it's like, "Haha, she got you. She's still in the training program, and you got cucked." Yeah, that was apparently her objective was to get him to fail. Uh, the message is: if you act like a decent guy. You lose. Yes. <laughs> we should take a... Wait, should, are you saying that in the sense that Colin Farrell was being the decent guy? Because he, he opened up... A, no, he was being a decent... He was being decent. He That's was like... True. She was I drunk. He that. was getting a cab. She kept inviting him back. And she's like, no, you're too drunk. Well, uh, and he gave up on picking up on the other floozy to help her. She wasn't a floozy. Know? She was knew what she wanted. <laughs> she and what she wanted was Colin Farrell. Hey! Was freshly out of prison, Colin Farrell. You're just trying to keep people from doing too many shots right now. Uh, but, you know, like, we should take a 30-second Bridget Moynihan break uh, to talk about her. Her big thing at this point, I think she was better known just as, like, Tom Brady's fiance, right? Like, I think she was in oh. every... She was kind of in every newspaper all the time because she was with Tom Brady, okay. who was at the peak of his... Are they still together? Football career? No. Not peak of his football... He, like, he, like, he's had, like, a long career. So I don't Tom know Brady's if, peak was, that, was, like, 15 years, wasn't it? Was that early in his career then? I don't know. Yeah, football. he's had, like, a 20-year career. Okay, so it was fairly early. She was a model, you know, and she's this very glamorous, very beautiful woman, and, like... I don't know. She was in a couple of movies around this time. What and movies then was she in? She was in The Sum of All Fears. She was oh, in Coyote yeah. Ugly. Oh. Uh, she, was, she had a few others. Shortly after, she was in uh, iRobot. iRobot, right. That's where I she knew her She was in iRobot. That is, that is where I knew her from, too, because watching the trailer, I was like, so familiar. I know I've seen her in something else. There's a lot of actors kind of around this time who I'll, I'll go back and watch these movies. And I'm like, oh, why didn't they ever pop off? Gabriel Macht, who is also in this movie, is another one. I go back and look at their careers. It's like, oh, they've been on like some procedural show on CBS for 25 years and have more money than God. I've just <laughs> never, I've just never seen NCIS Sheboygan. Yeah. You know, like, uh, I don't know. Fun fact. She's been in one for 13 years now. What has exactly. she been in? Blue Bloods. Blue Bloods, Blue Bloods. yeah. Which is I've never my, heard of that. My Tom mom show, yeah. used to watch that a lot. And I, I always remember going, I don't know who this guy is, but man, he's got a mustache. And then when I realized it was Tom Selleck, I was like, ah, yes, that's the mustache I was thinking of. What is Blue Bloods about? <laughs> it's a police procedural kind of following... Uh, like Tom Selleck plays, I think, like the captain or chief, I think chief of like one of the New York precincts. Oh. And so it's following like a family of police officers and so, stuff. When Gabriel Mock is kind of the same way because he was on Suits for years and years, which is one of those shows that apparently everybody in the world loves and I've never seen a is frame Suits of. Is Suits still a show? How so, long did that so show run off, for? It was off air. I haven't seen it, but it's off air, but they um, they put it on Netflix and then it blew the fuck it's up. It's like huge on Netflix, Netflix right now. Yeah, yeah. People I, are really discovering uh, it. I watched a lot of the USA channel mm. uh, around that time and so I always saw advertisements for it, but I was like, I was watching uh, a lot of psych 
Uh, uh, I watched so much Psych. It's I've never seen Psych. I watched <gasps> a lot of Burn Notice. I did watch yeah. a lot. Burn Notice was you, fun. I love Burn Notice. I wore, like You would like... I would say probably just start with the fourth season. You can w- go back and watch the first season, but like, just Psych is so good. It's, it's so good, and then they eventually get to the point of where like they had enough pull that they were just like, do. It's my favorite thing of when a show gets successful and you can tell they're having a good time. Still, is when they're just like, yeah, uh, I always liked this musician. Can we bring him in for like a cameo in an episode or something? Sure. And they're okay. like, yeah, yeah. Well, they kept doing theme episodes. Like they have a really great Bollywood episode. Oh, and, love it. Um, like a, an old West episode. Yeah. And just like it was just it, it, they. After the first couple of seasons, they were just so successful. They just got to play around in this like ridiculous universe. And it it's was really okay. Fun. So so good. In the the comedy, in my opinion, is very much more up my alley where some of it's more of like dry humor sure. uh, it really just feels like a group of people who actually enjoy working together kind of fucking with each other okay all right um, it, it's great i could get uh, on board i can get on board the the general gist of the show is that it's a guy who is just really has a really good memory very uh, detail oriented uh who then proclaims to be a psychic investigator to help solve crimes yeah yeah uh, but really it's the same plot as the mentalist but they did it first but they, but, yeah yeah he's and actually he's just a detective pretty much but he doesn't act like it or admit it in any way okay all right it's great it's it's such a fun show but i mean the, that's kind of where i was getting at with this movie is it like we have four actors that have any kind of name recognition and they're really the only characters that get any kind of development at all. So we know, like, when we meet, like, the the like, kind of, like, douchey, bleach blonde, like, other <laughs> guy in the recruitment camp who is, like, a rival with Colin Farrell, we know he's going to come back in some capacity. He's either going to be the bad guy or he's going to be the plant or he's going to be a, a red herring or something. In this case, he's kind of all three. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, the thrust of this movie is that, like, they... They stage this whole long kidnapping sequence where Colin Farrell is, like, tortured and beaten. Uh, and it's all staged. It's all fake. And, like, people are just sort of watching him. But after that— It's real. They, it's, it's real. They're it really is. doing it. But what he doesn't realize is that— It's the CIA. It's, yeah, it's, it's a test. It's, like, a, an exam room. And the, his entire class is just, like, chilling out, like, watching through two-way mirrors and going, like, yeah. oh, interesting. But the and, you know so it, this there's is all nothing pretense. like creating a CIA agent by giving them PTSD. Absolutely, right? <laughs> they need to be a little traumatized. If, if there's anything I learned from watching Burn Notice, that's part of the playbook. Yeah, you can find somebody with PTSD or find somebody and give them PTSD. There you go, and that's a documentary. Yeah, that's a very true. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it's, this is all so really true. just a front to get him to quit the CIA so they can conceive. Of, they can realistically say, okay, he's no longer in the CIA. CIA. And then Pacino goes to him and says, all right, you actually passed. We want you in the CIA. We need you to pre- pretend to be this low-level guy so that you can follow Bridget Moynihan's character. We believe she's a mole. We believe she's going to steal this virus called Ice-9. You know, And he explains uh, that's named after the Kurt Vonnegut novel Cat's Cradle, uh, which I, I just actually read for the first time last year. Ice-9, if you haven't read it, is a molecule that they use in that uh, book. Okay. That's basically a biological weapon. Like anything, any element it comes into contact with, it will instantly turn to ice. So if you add it to a single element of water, it's going to basically just make the whole world an instant ice age. And that's what happens in that book. 
And that's kind of the idea of what this computer virus does uh, in Vonnegut this Vonnegut always has such interesting ideas. Oh, I love Vonnegut. Yeah, absolutely. I've never read a Vonnegut. Oh, yeah, you should borrow one. I've, of my I've got a couple. Yeah. Uh, I've read Slaughterhouse Five, but I've heard stuff about other ones, and they always just seem so, yeah, just so interesting. Uh, In- Cat's Cradle is great. Mother yeah. Night is my favorite ever uh, of his, but I've read like I've read like four or five. Yeah, no, Vonnegut's great. Um, but yeah, so this is all setting up this idea that he needs to infiltrate the CIA as kind of a low-level like data cruncher and follow her around. But of course, they are all hot for each other, uh, as we see with the uh, lie detector scene, you know, where he has to uh, catch her lying about wanting to sleep with him. You know, so it's it's all pretty creepy. Does I she fail or does she pass? That scene is so misogynistic. Mm. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Who, who's asking the questions? So she is strapped to the truth-telling machine, and it's like a, this little goggle that goes over her eye that's supposed to read, like, whether it's dilating or not. Yeah. And, like, okay. it, you know, it's going to tell fire heart rate. And basically he's trying to humiliate her for picking him up at the bar. And he goes, like, did you actually want to go home with me that night? And, like, she says no and gets caught in a lie. And, oh, yeah. God. But they <laughs> they end up flirting with each other and falling for each other. And then he's feeling all conflicted about his loyalties. Like, do I stick with the agency? Do I trust Al Pacino? Or do I follow this woman I love? Ultimately, he decides, like, I am going to stop her but i'm going to tell her to run so she doesn't get caught you know I but i thought it was really funny how they were like yeah the cia doesn't have disk drives they have usb drives yeah <laughs> it's a very exotic uh, uh format and also let me just tell you as somebody who has worked for uh government contractors has worked for agencies related to the government uh you can block and monitor usb drives it's real easy i've done it yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and that's usually what's done, <laughs> especially at anything to that level, anything like a research facility, stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. You're not going to be able to you shouldn't be able to get data onto a flash drive. Yeah. There's should there's a process that you have to follow where you presumably have to, you know, notify somebody for it. I mean, yeah, there's a process for all of that. But... Submit a request. But either way, he goes to her. He tells her, like, all right, I'm taking this virus from you, but you go free. Go free. He Harry and the Hendersons her, basically. He, he's throwing rocks at her. Go. Have you ever seen Harry I don't and the Hendersons? Here anymore. Go. Harry and the Hendersons is an amazing film. <laughs> so what you're saying is it's like the ending of uh, The Fast and the Furious. Exactly. Yeah, it's that. <laughs> Let me relate that to something I know. By the way, I just want to jump in and say, if, if it seems like we're having a hard time discussing the movie, it's because that's the kind of movie this is. It's the sort of ephemeral. It's so in a lot hard of ways. to pay attention to. And this, it, is the, this is simulating the experience of watching this movie. It's just, not. Yeah. And it's I'm going to go home and watch this movie. You should. It's, <laughs> it's got some really interesting writing choices. That the writing is like, uh, it's not terrible. It's not too 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 cliche it's slick but yeah. it's it's definitely like the 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 exposition drum d- dumps like oh uh you're athletic you're fit yeah yeah it's like dude are you hitting on me uh like <laughs> come on uh and i do just, like that little exchange i i know we're going back and forth but i do like that little exchange where he's trying to recruit him for the first time he's like do i have to kill anybody and pacino just kind of cocks his head and goes would you like to <laughs> i kind of like that part that funny. was in the trailer and i was like this seems so Okay, again, backtracking, you know, this is Pacino in like one of his less shouty later roles. You know, he reached a point, I think it was probably around uh, Scent of a Woman, 
where he just starts like shouting all his dialogue and sometimes it's fine sometimes like in heat like it's a little distracting because was, like he shouldn't be going that big was scent Here, of a woman pre-scarface or post post scarface so also, i guess scarface would be the start of it the name of that movie just sounds creepy <laughs> i don't know what it's about <laughs> No, it, it's not. So it's he an plays, okay movie. Well, he plays a blind man. Uh, yeah, okay. And it, it, like, there's a really great tango scene in it that yeah. I've seen multiple times because it's really with Gabriel Anwar from Burn Notice. Yeah, incidentally. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. But yeah, yeah. Uh, and so, um, but definitely, he's a little bit. Again, I haven't seen the movie in like 20 years, but he's a little bit of a misogynist. Yeah. He's also like. Um, like, Isn't that like most of Pacino's? But he's movies? he's kind of a misogynist where it's couched as like he just loves women so much, but he kind of treats them like a wine. Yeah, he you know, just, okay. like so he talks about their smell a lot. He he yeah, so that's kind of where it comes from. But uh, yeah, but uh, <sighs> I, I just got if the, the shivers from that. Uh, you should watch uh, you should watch the tango scene. The tango scene is really pretty. Yeah. And is, also, are you saying that person, just because you really like dance? No, so no, it's good. It, it, it also okay. so I feel uh, there are very few scenes in cinema that capture what it is to be a social dancer. Mm. And to be a social dancer, if you know how to follow, and you're like most follows are women, um, you can somebody can grab you and you can do a dance that you've never done before because you have these you have these fundamentals, and so you have this magic of all of a sudden being gliding across the floor with a really great lead to a song to a beautiful song that you've and it, it's magic it feels like magic and I feel like this scene really captures what it is to be a social dancer and what it is uh, to be a follow and to dance with a stranger that you've never met before and to create magic together uh, and so I really love the scene for that yeah. reason yeah I mean, all that is to say, I, I don't really feel like Pacino is phoning it in here. I think he's giving a pretty good performance. I think he definitely knows the level that this movie is at. <laughs> but uh, he's not embarrassed. I don't think Colin Farrell's embarrassing either. I think they're both bringing uh, the right energy to this part, to these parts. Um, is, it, is that kind of like the... Uh, I don't know why I've always liked this quote so much, but it was... Uh, in the first Star Wars movie where Mark Hamill was like, well, my hair should be all messy because of the, the last thing, the trash compactor. And Harrison Ford was like, kid, it's not that kind of movie. Yep, exactly. They're paying attention to that. <laughs> We're in trouble. Exactly. Um, and I think it's I think it's interesting. Colin Firth has a really great... Oh, uh, take a shot. Okay, sorry. Shit, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I'm going really, to stop picking on you. I will. <laughs> I was paying. I was so so trying. So Colin Farrell uh, was um, had this really great like early two thousands confused hurt face. Yeah, that he was doing all the time, and it was just like, and it's it's very it's a very cute face. Uh, but he uses it so often in this movie. He's like, oh, I'm confused. I'm hurt. I want your approval because he. Th it's really interesting how they sort of create this parental dynamic and i'm like people who grow up without parents i don't think they're this needy uh but they try to present this image that they're like um they try to did you is... just throw shade on orphans no <laughs> you, orphans. they portray people without parents as like starving for a parental figure in this yeah. really unhealthy way so i'm not throwing shade on orphans i'm throwing shade on the movie yeah, but that is something we didn't mention is that Colin Farrell's been searching for his dad, basically. He he's his dad died or disappeared back when he was a child. And so he's spent his whole life kind of basically searching for this guy. And Pacino is able to kind of coax him into the uh, CIA by saying, 
your dad was a CIA agent. He didn't actually die in an airplane crash. Like he's well, he, he died doing a mission for us. From what I saw, it looked like it was uh, a little less direct than that. But no, it was super direct. Oh, was it super direct? direct. Okay, direct. it's pretty right. direct. Um, yeah, and so like they're obviously setting up Pacino to be kind of this father figure for him. You know, where uh, he he's gonna follow him blindly and just sort of accept him at his word. But of course, we being movie literate know. That he is up to no good. So when he goes to finally, like, Harry and the Hendersons, Bridget Moynihan, she tells him, like, look, you can look at my pupils because this totally works. You can tell I'm not <laughs> lying. And you can see that I am just a regular CIA agent and you're being played. And this leads to this whole showdown with Pacino where uh, he basically tricks Pacino into confessing live on the radio in front of the entire CIA. Like, he thought he'd gotten away with it. Um, but he winds up confessing, and they shoot him to death. But wait, they, so he thinks he confessed. He thinks he confessed, but the software wasn't working. <laughs> so it just he, looked like it was. It working. just looked like it was working. Yeah. So then he comes out, and he's like, "You got me!" And he gives this big, long monologue, a, a very Al Pacino monologue. That's where he puts on the yelling. Yeah. That, that where he puts on the yelling that you, we know so well. And then he's like, "Oh, you tricked me." <laughs> the, the, the CIA guys were like, "I we were here for the other guy. What are yeah, you doing?" They, they move the the laser. <laughs> like. like yeah. Excuse me, uh, what are you doing? Like, what god damn it, we have to shoot this other guy now. But yeah, so he, he gets mowed down. He was down. doing it all for money. You know, and then... Just like the rest of us. They get him one last twist, because Pacino was trying to convince him. He's like, I made up that whole story about your dad. He actually just was an oil executive who died in a plane crash. But then we get the final reveal after Pacino gets mowed down. Another co- another SCIA agent says, like, hey, it's okay. You're just like your dad or something like that. It's like, like you're you're really good at this. It's in your blood. Yeah. Yeah. So we he was a CIA agent after all. Whoopsie. Um, you know, so just one more twist in there. You know, like, I'm being a little dismissive of this movie. I think it is a very effective kind of middle-of-the-road sort of potboiler, but... You are, if you have just the slightest bit of media literacy, you're going to be ahead of this movie, like, right from the get-go. Look, uh, my experience with most spy movies, gotcha included, mm-hmm. is that uh, they're usually not the greatest. You know, they, like, that's because you haven't watched Tink- uh, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. Got it. Okay. Got it. Yeah. Stalling, uh, starring Colin like, Firth. <laughs> yes. this, that one, right? this episode is just going to be called Colin Firth. Heart, Question heart, mark? heart. Yes, yes. Uh, yes. Is, he is in that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, you you so. go into the theater to see a Mission Impossible movie, and you're not going to see the most accurate spy movie ever. No, made. you're not seeing actual crap. No, you're, seeing, you know, in the, you're seeing an action movie with a spy cover on And this top. one feels a little particularly silly in that regard. Like, I don't think they're really putting people through so many, like, hoops, you know, of, like, trusting each other. But... Either way, like, the CIA regards this as uh, kind of a light comedy. Um, but, you know, regardless, this movie was a bit of a hit, but it didn't really have the kind of staying power necessary, which leads us to talk about this video game. All right. The video game is called Ice Nine. All right. And it came out uh, two years after this. It came out in February of 2005. It's developed by Taurus Games and published by BAM Entertainment. Now, this was being developed alongside the film. The intention was there was going to be a day-and-date release, but the film's release date approached, and the game wasn't really done, so it caused a delay. And then compounding the issue, the film, which was successful, 
it wasn't a big enough hit to really make people believe that like everyone's going to come out and buy a game that has the recruit on it, especially two years after the movie. You know, this is not a movie with a cultural tale. So they dropped the license and they decided to redevelop the game without it. They changed the name of the characters in this game, but it's still basically the same plot. Uh, and so I'm kind of counting it as an adaptation. They, you know, as even from the title, Ice Nine is you know the name of the virus from the movie. Uh, there was also a PS2 version of this that was being developed. There's some footage that's available. It looks like a pretty bad uh, first-person shooter. Um, and that's the other weird thing we need to talk about here. This game is a first-person shooter on the Game Boy Advance, all right? And it's only on the Game Boy Advance. This isn't like an adaptation of a platform game that got like reduced down to a Game Boy Advance. This is a game entirely developed for this handheld system that can't super handle this genre. Um, yeah. There are a handful of first-person shooters that are on systems like this, you know? Like there's a, there's a, a Doom and a Wolfenstein on the Super Nintendo, you know? Like you can you can go back that far and see if those games barely work. Uh, they literally work at like 10 frames a second or something like it's, that. Like it goes so back to uh, when we were playing the Die Hard game. Uh, Pre-joystick gaming was crazy. It was so weird to play most games. Yeah. And then like... The Nintendo 64 had a joystick for GoldenEye, but it was still kind of wonky. It took time to get things situated. However, that was done before 2005. That's the thing. This game came out when the Nintendo DS was already like two or three months old, you know, and that game, that system is slightly better for first person shooters. It's still not like the way you necessarily want to play it, but it is slightly better. Um, this game, it, it just the biggest obstacle this game has is that it looks pretty rough, and you need to sort of dilute the experience of a first-person shooter to make it fit onto this handheld console, and that's the question of whether or not it's ultimately worth it. Worth. So I have not had a viscerally negative response to a game Ooh. this bad since ET. Um, I. Um, the graphics are so bad like playing et or wayne's world or anything from like the the 80s or 90s was so much easier than playing this like the the pixels were so bad yeah uh the artwork was so bad uh and like the first person shooter was just like nonsensical um and um it was just like you you start the game off and you're going through a recruit uh like basic um uh, men in black styles situation mm -hmm. where you're shooting the bad guys and not shooting the like innocent people but the pixels are so ridiculous you can barely tell the difference between someone who's armed and who's unarmed we were having that issue a couple times where we kept killing civilians because some of the men are wearing red shirts and it looks like they're clutching dynamite or like their, their arms are crossed across their chest in a way that makes it look like they're holding a gun and because the graphics are so low fidelity, it's pretty hard to tell. Now, we play this two different ways. I've got it on a handheld, uh, where which I think worked a little better. The handheld worked better and looked better. And then we also put it on an emulator and like put it up on my TV. But this is not a game that is meant to be seen on a 70-inch TV. <laughs> it's kind of a mess, and it's hard to look at when it's like that, you know? Yeah. Um... And I, their saving grace is that there is strafe buttons. However, yeah. uh, 
for those of us who have played games before joysticks, strafe wasn't on a joystick. Strafe was on the bumpers. Yeah. And so uh, it, I had to like, my brain has, it's not like riding a bike. My brain has fully removed all capability to play like that anymore. And it's so hard to go back. It, it is so hard to go back, but I will say for the control scheme, they kind of made the best of it. I think they do. And here's the thing. I, I played this game more than I thought I would. Um, I was playing a little bit in advance um, just to kind of get a feel of it. And I don't know if it's just like me being obstinate with it because it was getting really annoyingly challenging and I wanted to best it, you know, but or, or if I was actually just enjoying it. But there's something about this was eventually clicking with me, despite how ugly and cumbersome it is. Like, it was starting to sort of work, but it was almost like in defiance of good game design. Okay, there's a level that we didn't even really get to uh, as a group, but where you're supposed oh, yeah, to. Yeah, I wanted to give that a try, but. Yeah, got, you're, you're supposed to tail the female agent. Your mission on this, this parameter is to uh, shoot non lethal rounds at everybody, everybody who's wearing red pants because that's an indication that they're an agent. There's like nine of them that you need to take out. We all know you can only wear red pants if you are in the CIA. Oh, absolutely. Anybody with red pants is in the <laughs> and CIA. And Michael Jackson being in the CIA. Oh my we God. We all knew it. He was a werewolf and he was in the CIA. Yeah. Wore red pants. Whoa. Red pants. Mind you're, blown. You're basically you're supposed to wander around this level. Fred like, Durst wore red pants. <laughs> You go to We're hell. We're just going to name people who wore red pants now. <laughs> yes, welcome to the red, red pants. Red Durst in yes. the CIA? Yes. <laughs> hey, he wore a red hat mostly. Well, he did He did wear red pants at one point. Okay. Because he, uh, he wore track pants for a little while. I trust you on this. Yes. <laughs> but you know, you're supposed to wander around this level, shoot all the people who are wearing red pants, they'll put their hands up, and then you can tag the agent, and then you need to escape. The problem is there's a bunch of civilians milling about at the same time, if they see you with your weapon out, then you lose the mission. But there's no actual consistent way to tell whether they can see you or not. Sometimes I walked right in front of them and they didn't do anything. Sometimes I was walking behind them and they would flag me. Like it didn't, there was, it wasn't really consistent. So I kept hitting the same issue. And I think that's the point I reached in the game where I, I did get past that level, but I'm now stuck on a level where. You need to avoid cameras. You need to avoid seeing any of these cameras or having these cameras see you. But I don't know where the cameras are. I can't see them. They don't show up on the map. And you just need to kind of wander around and do trial and error. But it's also like the the enemies are not moving in a consistent, like, recognizable pattern. So trial and error isn't really a good option either. You just need to hope for blind luck. And I don't know that this game justifies playing it long enough to uh, get to that point where you hit enough luck with it. Um... <laughs> Uh, I do think it's interesting that that game company has a lot of games released. A lot of them were Barbie related. Lots of Barbie ones. I think they might be the ones who did Elf, if I'm not mistaken. I, I, I think no, you're right. I think they did Elf. But These, those, they looked familiar. I, I'll, I will point out that by the time this was released, there was two, potentially three Splinter Cell games yeah. already on the market. Yeah. 
you should have bought those instead. <laughs> and people did. People did. This oh, is they not did. A, yeah, what no. year did Metal Gear Solid come out? Oh, the God. The first one came out in 19 or something. first right? one was 98. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Metal Gear Solid 2 was 2001. Um, yeah, so that Metal Gear was already a thing. Wouldn't it be great if the CAA believed that you'd be like, if CAA training included like being under boxes? Being under than... boxes, <laughs> using cigarettes okay. to find like uh, laser beams, so, fighting giant mechs. Me, <laughs> me and my roommate were recently watching. So they had Star Wars The Clone Wars the show, but they also made like a TV movie also in the same style. Oh, it was a that movie goes alongside movie. of it. Yeah, no, yeah, it, was, yeah. it was released in theaters. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah, it was like a, a full two-hour movie, and we, me and my roommate, were watching it because we thought we were watching the series, and uh, they absolutely hide under a box from the droids, and then just kind of slowly <laughs> crawl through them as they're marching the other way. There you go. It works. And I was laughing so hard. I. That's the type of shit that if it happens in a movie, even if it's the dumbest stuff, I'm just going to be like, look, I get the reference. Yeah. I'm okay with this. But, I mean, that's a level of complexity you could manage if you're in a movie or if you're in a Metal Gear game, which is in 3D. <laughs> Not in a Game Boy Advance. In a Game Boy Advance game. Like, I, I applaud them for having some ambitious ideas with this one and for, it, for attempting it. This is not the first first-person shooter on the Game Boy Advance. It's not the only one we'll talk about. Uh, we'll get to that eventually. And, but uh, Just to put, like, a slight bit of detail into this, it does play very similarly to how, like, Doom would play. Yeah. Uh, you don't have to be super precise with your aiming. There's no. some auto aim involved. Um, sometimes in in a bad way because I definitely sprayed a submachine gun at some bad guy targets and a couple uh, civilians died. So yeah. that's what a machine gun does, Justin. <laughs> yes. And that's why if you're ever in a war zone or you're ever in a hostage situation, just lay down. Yeah. Stay Don't down. stand between two bad guys with your arms crossed. Yeah. In your sweatshirt. Your, on. I think that's your, some victim blaming, right? Your I think red that's shirt that blaming. looks like dynamite. Yeah. <laughs> Look. Just don't I'm be not low. Say the joke. All right. Just don't go into a hostage situation with low resolution and large pixels. Yeah. I think. Is uh, the idea. When you hear gunshots start, get down. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> I'm not going to keep commenting know, on this. I don't, this. Know, this I don't is, like uh, this tangent. This, this I don't either because tangent. this is America. This is, uh, uh, this is a bad tangent. Yeah, we'll uh, my alarm bells are ringing. Yes, let's uh, go back. But like, you know, so uh, yeah, I reached a point with this game where it's just like, all right, this is probably enough. But it, it took a little longer for me to reach that point than I would have expected. Given the yeah. limitations of it, maybe there's a bit of nostalgia for me because I did grow up playing Doom uh, and GoldenEye and things like that where – it is a first-person shooter that's in a much more limited controller and technological uh, capacity, so you need to adapt. And that's sort of what I was doing here, and just sort of take it as part of the gameplay. But you do reach a point where it's just like, all right, this is just, you're, you're, you're trying to cram a square peg into a round hole here. And I, I, think, I think ultimately the biggest downfall is the resolution. Um, it is highly pixelated. Yeah. And now this is 2005 on the Game Boy Advance, which I had and I played often. Um, that screen is at least two to three times the resolution of what we were getting in the game. Yeah. And that's what made it so, so weird to me was I remember playing like Kirby. Uh, there's... There was a Need for Speed game on the Game Boy Advance, and being able to actually make stuff out, um, whereas here, it was 
when we say pixelated, we yeah. mean it. Like, oh, yeah. It's... It, it felt like, like the SNES had better resolution than what this game was running in. The whole thing looks like the White Stripes fell in love with the girl video that's being made out of Lego. <laughs> that's that's what it looks like. Honestly, yeah. yeah. And that, I don't know if it was just they weren't able to push the hardware well enough, either because of uh, development inefficiencies, uh, if it wasn't very well optimized, but that killed it. Yeah. That, that gave it no chance to be a good game. If it at least looked a little better, uh, obviously they're not going to be setting records. It's not going to be like uh, you know Red Dead Redemption Two or something. Yeah, but uh, it, it would have had a chance. And but it's uh, it it's didn't. ultimately just kind of a fascinating artifact. And if you find a copy of this in the wild, hold on to it because this game has become quite valuable. Because, like we said, it came out two months after the DS came out. It was based on a movie no one cared about. It went under the radar and it barely sold. So. Copies of this usually fetch like two or three hundred dollars on eBay, um, so definitely hold on to it in that regard. But as to whether or not you should hold on to it in your heart, well, let's decide that right now. Let's talk about our ratings on these movies and games. Is this a good movie, good game, a bad movie, bad game, or somewhere in between? Uh, spew your vitriol, Jennifer. I want to hear it. I want to hear it. I'm going to say it's. I feel in... weird calling you Jennifer, by the way. <laughs> okay. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, it's a. Um, I'm going to say it's a okay movie. Yeah. And I'm going to say it's a bad, bad game. <laughs> bad, you... bad, bad, bad game. I don't know if you mentioned you were getting physically ill trying well, to look at this game. I, I was just like, I was just like, what is going on? It was just like, it was so horrible. Like I've enjoyed Wayne's World so much more than this, and like I love first person shooter games yeah i really really love them and yeah. so to have something this incompetent and something that i love was just a real challenge that's fair how about you justin where did you come down um i mean i know you love the movie obviously. yeah i i'm not gonna rate the movie for <laughs> uh previously mentioned reasons but i will say uh again it, it was a bad game and it could have been potentially an okay game but the the texture like the actual resolution the game was running in was just abysmal and made it so hard to play doom had more pixels than this did um like it, it's it was so bad but I'm, again the gameplay wasn't terrible yeah it just needed a little bit more fidelity to be playable and it didn't have that so the idea of the game the idea of going around shooting um cardboard figures mm. that's been done a million times before and since and this one has just done it abysmally now in theory eventually you shoot real people you but do. Uh, it takes a weirdly long time before they start shooting back i should mention that too like it's yeah. because they they make you play the training until you've like reconditioned your entire being to be able to understand in like make sense of the game yeah. before they make it difficult. And this whole time, yeah, like we should, like we said, this is hitting all the beats of the movie. They've just changed the characters and the setting and everything, but they are hitting all the beats of the movie. So. And after all, the important thing about the movie and the video game is that women are evil. Absolutely can't trust them. I, I can't even talk to them. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to come down a little soft. on This is a bad, bad for me, but I am a little soft on both of those bads. I think... 
the movie is perfectly watchable. I think it's pretty entertaining for what it's trying to do. It's a mid-level entertainment of the type that we don't really see a lot of anymore. So like, I do miss this mid-level entertainment. Yeah. Maybe I don't watch that much because uh, I don't um, like I, I don't watch the the shows on Netflix that have been sort of like I think have taken over yeah. this um, market. Yeah, I think um, so. And yeah, I, but I it, think... it's a it's a peak like January release. You know, it's one of those movies where like, all right, well, if you don't feel like seeing a lot of Oscar-y stuff, then maybe yeah. you just want to go watch like some relatively mindless action movie. You know, and and that's what this sort of delivers. It has a pretty successful first half and then a pretty bad second half. And the game, you know what? I'm I'm giving them a gold star for trying to do this. It's just ultimately yeah. this was never going to be a good fit, uh, and it it all it. The, the moments where it's playable and fun uh, get overruled by the moments where you just sort of can't progress anymore because the limitations of the technology have intruded on the story. So that's yeah. that's sort of where I came down. It's a soft bad bad, but it is a bad bad. Um, well, thank you everyone for listening. Thank you to my co-host for braving the freezing cold weather out there. It is uh, 20 degrees here in Texas for people who don't think it gets this cold. It gets very cold here in Texas. So... <laughs> I, this is more of a recent thing. <laughs> yes, it's got to do. It's got to do. Um, but next week, you're going to want to tune in because uh, we have an exciting one coming up. Another uh, movie that you probably had no idea there was a game adaptation of because this one was buried on the PSP. We're going to be talking about Napoleon Dynamite, uh, the hit 2004 indie comedy that became basically a uh, 90-minute T-shirt printing factory uh, on its own. There were just so many quotable moments from that movie. There is a game based on Napoleon Dynamite. It's released on the PSP. I can only imagine it's equally as quotable with the same quotes. Every bit as much. And I'm also excited because uh, my old podcast co-host, Woody Siskowski from Ultra 64 and Wii Universe, he is going to be here talking about this movie with us. We're very excited to have Woody on, and I'm very excited to get into this movie and this game. So... Thank you, everybody, again. uh, I now release you from your duties as CIA agents. Uh, Well done, everyone. Uh, And now the real game begins. Is this when you betray us? (laughs) Yes. Oh, no. I told you never to trust anybody. That's my Al Pacino. All right. J-Ban has a Pacino. Can can we hear your Pacino? You have one. My dick is on fire. <laughs> that's not the Pacino that we were referencing, but yeah, yeah, that's Dave Pacino. But still, pretty good, pretty good. Dave Earlier, Pacino. she was saying yeah. other things, and it sounded better. <laughs> well, I don't that think. Note, on I don't... that note, goodbye, everybody. <laughs>